I want to welcome you to Central this morning where we seek transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what I pray every one of you experience today, that you would seek and you would know and experience Jesus at work here in this community and in your life this morning. Today, we're starting a new series that we're going to continue through the fall up through Advent, and it's entitled, At the Table with Jesus. We're going to study Jesus' mealtime interactions with people, especially in the Gospel of Luke. Now, why would we want to do that? Beyond just idle curiosity of what Jesus does at mealtime, the reason we're studying it is because, as one theologian put it, for Jesus, doing lunch is doing theology. At the table is where we learn what kind of God we have. In Jesus' day, meals were about more than just physical nourishment. Eating and drinking together became somewhat of a ceremony. It became a ritual of unity, of forgiveness, a, a bond of friendship, so much so that if one family was estranged from another, reconciliation would be pursued and effected and pictured as they sat down and had a feast together. Being at the table was a big deal. Meals together, feasting, offered a picture of the kingdom of God. But the way Jesus presented that kingdom was a little bit of a different kind of kingdom with a certainly a different kind of king. It's a king, a gracious king, an inviting king. Into what do we invite people around our tables? Let's look at this early meal encounter of Jesus and ask, who's in and who's out at God's feast? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would send your mighty spirit and open our eyes and our hearts, that we would behold Jesus, we would see him with our eyes, and we would hear his call with our ears. We would respond with hearts of love. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hear God's word, Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. There's a couple of things I'd like for us to see in this brief interaction this morning. There are two. One is, at the table with Jesus, boundaries are blurred. And at the table with Jesus, we find an invitation to grace Boundaries are blurred, and we find an invitation to grace. Are those true at our tables with those who are seated around us? First point this morning, at the table with Jesus, boundaries are blurred. Here we read a story about Levi, and if you know your Bible well, you would know that Levi is also the gospel writer named Matthew. He has two names. Most of his disciples in those days had more than one name. Levi is Matthew, and Matthew is a tax collector, which by definition makes him an outcast. 
He was an outcast from his fellow Jews who thought that he and others like him were thieves and traitors. You see, Romans outsourced their revenue collection in those days to other Jews. And Jews would bid on a certain region, like Matthew had the region around Capernaum. And they would bid on that region, I can collect the taxes, and whoever gave the highest bid to Rome won the contract. And they could collect whatever was owed to Rome and the tax collector would pay, but if the tax collector could extort additional monies out of those same people, he got to keep it. So the people considered them not only traitors, but they were thieves as well. They became filthy rich by stealing money from their fellow Jews. They were hated by their countrymen. Furthermore, they supported this corrupt regime of Rome, which made them traitors. And even more, because of their contact, their regular interaction with with Gentiles, they were ceremonially unclean. So nobody wanted them. Nobody wanted tax collectors. They were hated by everybody and welcomed by no one. So what happened when Jesus passed by Matthew's tax collecting booth on this road near Capernaum? Rather than turning away, Jesus turned toward Matthew and said to him, verse 28, follow me, and he left everything and followed him. That following is in the tense of a continual action. Matthew followed and kept on following Jesus. Jesus had reached into the life of this outcast, laid hold of him, the thief and the traitor that he was, and Jesus draw him in. Jesus drew him close and invited him into his circle of disciples. And Matthew's life would never be the same. That's when it got really interesting because Matthew decided for something this momentous, I've got to throw a party. I have to throw a feast in verse 29. And the Pharisees were ticked off. The issue wasn't that Matthew was throwing a party. Pharisees were used to feasts. They they were pictured in the Pharisees' mind as, as a representation of the kingdom of God. That's why Pharisees celebrated in feasts. It wasn't the problem that Matthew was throwing a feast. The problem was, the giant problem was who was invited. You see, Pharisees and religious leaders like them saw the table as a means to establish and maintain boundaries so that everybody knows who's in and who's out. The table demonstrated who belonged who belong on the inside versus those who are to be excluded on the outside. And if you were a good, observant Jew, then you belonged at the table. You belonged at the feast, but everybody else, the thieves, the traitors, the Gentiles, everybody else belonged on the outside. They were lumped into this big category called sinners. Now, when Matthew's talking about this here, when Luke's talking about it, sinners are more than just those who were morally corrupt. One historian labels that the category of sinners in that day included members of the despised trades like tax collectors and herdsmen and peddlers and tanners. Sinners included the physically deformed. Sinners included the mass of humanity, the crowd out there. They were called sinners. Samaritans were sinners. And even to a certain extent, all women were put in that category of sinner. And to sit at the table... With such a person, the Pharisees thought, would make you unclean. 
It's like their sin, their impurity would rub off on you if you're seated at the table with them. And so one thing a rabbi and his disciples would never do is be seated at the same table with people counted as sinners because their sin infects you. Maybe this is a little bit, a little bit too simplistic, but not much. Pharisees and the scribes thought that salvation would finally come. The kingdom of God would finally be in residence. The, the nation would be healed when things like this, table fellowship with that category of people was no longer tolerated. That's when the kingdom would come. It would fully arrive when the land was purified from flagrant sinners and those who were on the outside were kept on the outside and Rome was finally gotten rid of. When all of those things happened, finally then the kingdom of God would come. So can you begin to understand a little bit of their anger and their confusion at this rabbi, including tax collectors and sinners, at this kingdom feast? Can you understand their, their anger seeing fellow Jews committed to funding and enabling Rome included? Because they thought if salvation comes when these type of people are finally gone, why would thieving traitors be included like Matthew? Why in the world would he have a seat at a place symbolizing the kingdom of God? Why would Matthew be included? Those people don't belong, they thought. And even more than just Matthew, there was a whole party full of them. Everybody there was in that same category, a table filled with tax collectors and sinners as if they had a part in the kingdom of God. Jesus invited these people into a sense of spiritual fellowship. That's what happened at the table. And he became guilty by association. So did everybody else there. But Jesus, you see, blurred boundaries. Jesus blurred the boundaries of who's in and who's out because Jesus was way more interested in celebrating life and repentance with those who were considered defiled. He was way more interested in that than he was in going along with the Pharisees' pretense of their own righteousness. In Jesus' eyes, sinners belonged at the table Sinners belonged in the feast, more on that in a moment. And rather than their sin keeping them out, for Jesus, sin is what qualified them to come to this table, a table all about where needy people come and gather. Those who were under suspicion, those who were condemned by religious leaders were welcomed by Jesus. He blurred boundaries at the table. Now, before we get to that invitation of grace, we need to examine our own tables. We need to examine our own sense of fellowship. Sinners were included at the table with Jesus, but how about at our tables? How about in our fellowship? How about in our church life? Are the boundaries fixed, keeping sinners out? Or are boundaries blurred, inviting people in as Jesus has done? One commentator put it like this, the Pharisee is not someone we found on the outside of the church, but inside. It's entirely possible for us to know our theology deeply, to have it down pat, 
and at the same time fail to be captivated by the love of God for needy sinners. It's entirely possible for us to have all of our theology down exactly right, locked tight, and have a cold heart. A cold heart toward those who need the very things that we profess to believe. Jesus' table boundaries were blurred. How about ours? I mean, let's, let's be honest here. In our flesh, in our old man, we harbor some of those same insider-outsider categories, don't we? There may be people that we think, although we would rarely say it with our voice, there may be people we think don't belong in our fellowship, don't belong at our table, don't quite measure up to our expectations of purity in some way. It may be tempting to think that there are some kinds of people who don't belong in our church, who don't deserve to be welcomed in to hear or embrace the gospel of Jesus. Who is that in your mind? Who fits in that category of, "Eh, I'm not sure we want those kind of people in a church like this. Who's that? We don't want them together with us. Is it some kind of category of a poor person? Because sometimes poor people make us feel uncomfortable and we don't want them here, but Jesus does. Maybe it's somebody we think of, they have a very different life from us. They, they live their lives differently. They celebrate differently. They do things differently. We don't want them here with us, but Jesus does. Maybe it's somebody we consider to be lazy. And we love to sit back and be critical of that person or those people. Rather than lifting a finger to help them, we'd rather criticize. And we think, I don't want them here. Maybe it's a group of people who don't dress in the finest of clothes that we assume counts us worthy. Either they cannot or they, or they do not. We don't want them here. But Jesus does. Maybe it's a group of people who don't match our educational level or aren't as literate as some of us are or whose behavior is not quite up to our standard. We may want to exclude them. We may think we don't want them here, but Jesus does. Because those kinds of people are welcomed at the table with Jesus. Where is Jesus calling you to blur some of your boundaries? And invite into your church. Invite into your family. Invite into sitting at your table. People you are tempted to exclude. Blurring boundaries Inviting and including the excluded is a manifestation of the kingdom of God because it demonstrates the character of our king. That's who Jesus is. That's that's what he does. But that's not all of the kingdom of God. Just inviting people to the table isn't the same thing as the kingdom. What happens when they get there? What happens when tax collectors and sinners like them, like me, and like you come to the table? with Jesus. Well, at the table with Jesus, we find an invitation to grace. That's what we find when we come to his table. He invites us into grace. Look at verse 30 again. The Pharisees and scribes grumbled, why do you eat and drink with sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Have you ever heard somebody say this? 
oh, you don't want to go to the hospital. That's where all the sick people are. <laughs> Ever heard anybody say that? I, I don't want to go to the hospital. The hospital is dangerous if you're sick. That's the worst place you can be. Don't go to the hospital because that's where all the sick people are. I mean, it's obvious, right? Hospitals are built for the sick. Hospitals are built for uh, healing the sick. You go to the hospital, you go to the doctor only when you know something is wrong in your life. And Jesus envisions his church at the center of his kingdom as a hospital where the great physician labors to heal sin-sick people like us. Why would you go to a hospital with so many sick people? Why would you go to a church with so many sinners? Because that's the only place where we can find the one who has the ability to heal. It's in the church. It's in the church where we find Jesus, the only one who's able to heal us. And it's only the ones who come to Dr. Jesus who know something is terribly wrong in their lives. The people who come to this physician for healing are the ones who are convinced that there's something deeply wrong with me, something deeply broken in my life. I'm a sinner. That's the only reason to come to a church filled with sinners. It's because I'm just like them. Do you know that of yourself? Are you willing to identify in that way that there's something deeply wrong in my life and Jesus is the only one who can bring me healing? If that's you, Jesus invites you to his table where you find grace, a place for the undeserving, a place not for the righteous, a place for those of us who know that there's something wrong in our lives. He invites us to his table. He invites us into his church. Last week, I was on an airplane. And when I sat down, there was a delightful woman next to me, and she started to talk as soon as I sat down. And honestly, I was bone tired. I really had no interest in talking, but she wanted to talk, so we talked. And I learned a lot of things about her life. I learned where she lived. I learned about her career. I learned where she had gone to school. I learned what she had studied. And after a while, she started to tell me about her church life. She and her husband had been attending a church for a while. They had gotten really involved. They were involved in a small group in their church. But lately, she said, we've just dropped out. Like a lot of people dropped out over COVID. And I was curious. I asked her, why? What what happened to make you walk away from that fellowship? And the answer she gave me made me so, so sad. This woman has several children, and one of them is in a gay relationship. And she said to me with incredulity in her voice, can you believe that those people told me my daughter is a sinner? I could hardly believe my ears when they said, my daughter's daughter's not a sinner. She's a precious person. I had to leave. I couldn't stand to be with those people anymore. And they left the church, and it broke my heart. Why? It's not really because of what the church said. Because what the church said is true. Homosexual relationships are sinful. The Bible is very clear about that. Her, Her daughter is a sinner. But what made me dreadfully sad is the way that those church leaders spoke to this woman. They led her to believe that her child is a sinner, but she wasn't. They led her to believe that her child was the one who's identified as a sinner, but the people in this church aren't. 
Certainly religious leaders in this church aren't. Sinners are those people out there. Sinners are those people at the end of my long pointed finger. They are sinners, but you aren't, mom. They are sinners, but we're not here in this church. Certainly our our leaders aren't sinners. And it made me sad because the church lied to her. The church failed to tell her the truth. It, It made me sad and frankly, it made me sick. It made me sick to think that a church would tell a family that it is those people out there who need fixing. It's those people like that that need healing, but not us. We're good. We're the righteous. We are the upstanding. You realize that that's exactly the posture of the Pharisees and the scribes in this passage. Those people those notorious tax collectors, those disabled, those, those people who are sinners, they deserve to be excluded from the kingdom of God, but not us. You listen to me very, very carefully. The hope that we have in this life is only offered to those who know that they're sinners. The only hope we have in this life is we who would know and confess that there's something wrong with me. I'm not consumed with what's wrong with everybody else, but I need Jesus. Sin's not out there, sin's in here. It's in my heart. And sin in my heart warps my life toward rebellion against God. The only people that truly meet Jesus are the people who are willing to say something is wrong and I need a physician. I need a physician of the soul because I am sick with my sin. That's who meets Jesus. That's who comes to his table. That's what the church should be. The church is a hospital filled with sin-sick people desperately needing Dr. Jesus as our Savior. Because, friends, the only righteousness that will last is not what we can gin up ourselves. It's not the way that we can separate ourselves out. I'm so much better than those people. That's not a righteousness that will last. The only righteousness that lasts comes from the righteousness of Jesus given to us and received by faith. It's a righteousness that was received by faith and leads us to follow after Jesus in repentance, wanting to turn away from our sin and turning toward Jesus. He's the one who does that in our hearts and our lives. As that perfect son of God, he took on his body, nailed to the cross, the judgment and the sin and the punishment that was ours. Because Jesus went to the cross Our sin is forgiven. Don't point your finger at everybody else out there. Our sin has been forgiven on the cross. He has given to us his righteousness. And it's true for self-righteous sinners like Pharisees. It's true for tax collectors and every kind of sinner in between. Do you know yourself like that? That each one of us come to Jesus as sinners desperately needing his grace because the truth is we deserve condemnation. The invitation of Jesus is an invitation to grace, meaning to something you could never deserve because of who he is. None of us belong. None of us belong because of our righteousness. None of us belong because of how well we've lived in our lives. In fact, it's believing that I deserve it is the only thing that puts you on the outside. 
It's believing that I'm good enough for Jesus. That's the only thing that will exclude you from his table. I don't need you. I'm doing just fine by myself. None of us deserve fellowship with a holy God, but it is offered to us in Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain for sinners like us. The posture of the kingdom of God is a posture of invitation. Being willing to name myself alongside other sinners in need of Jesus. Come to the table. Come to the table alongside other sinners saved by grace. That's what the church is. It's a great hospital for sinners where each and every kind of sinner can find healing and hope in Jesus. Who might you need to invite to Jesus? Not standing apart from them as if you're better than they are. But invite them as a fellow sinner struggling to follow Jesus. Come to this table where you can find life. I hope that, I pray that the doors of our church are flung wide open. As wide open as the arms of Jesus nailed to a cross ready to embrace a sinful and needy world of which we're a part. Who will you welcome Invite them to Jesus' table where they can find life and then invite them to your table. Invite them to your table so that they can see and experience the love and grace of God through your fellowship. Are you willing to invite people in rather than keep people out? Let's pray. Father, I profess how grateful I am that you did not keep me out. That you've not kept any of us out who named the blood of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the reign of Jesus as our only hope. Lord, you've invited us to your table and so we come, not because we deserve it. We come not because we cleaned our lives up before we could come, but we come simply because you invite us. The one who knows us as we are and loves us into fellowship. Lord Jesus, I pray that our hearts would be captivated by that love and grace and you would enable us to be a church filled with people whose hands are open to the world, inviting a lost and needy world into relationship with you. Would you bring the nations into our church? that they may find you here and healing here. Jesus, do that because of your compassion and your mercy and mainly because of the cross and your victory in the resurrection. Do it here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.